from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and thanks for joining us. I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder. And joining me this week and every week, Tom Campbell, twisted mind behind RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. And I'm also joined by James St. James and eternal club kid of the spotless mind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. And our millennial producer, Blake. Hi, guys. So Thanksgiving is just around the corner. Yay. And I am grateful to you guys Aww. for continuing oh, to join me. I'm so thankful that you keep employing me. <laughs> <laughs> Here in the basement of World of Wonder Productions on Hollywood Boulevard for another edition of The Wow Report. So every week, as our regular listener knows, <laughs> we count down the top 10 things that make us go wow. wow. This week is the season we are counting down the top 10 biggest turkeys of all times movies yes we are giving thanks because these movies are in our humble opinion so bad they're good yes, yes. so let's get plucking <laughs> number 10 number 10 i am going to put on the table this thanksgiving as the number 10 turkey movie <laughs> so bad it's good the Bodyguard, Ooh. starring Kevin Costner and the one and only Whitney Houston. Now, let me start by saying I <laughs> am a huge Whitney Houston fan. I love her with every surprise, surprise, thing in my soul. And this was a huge hit, so it wasn't a box office flop. But if anyone really watches it again, it's a camp classic piece of trash that's you have to watch. And it's also it's a time it was made in '92. When Kevin Costner was a big star, yeah, <laughs> remember that right, moment? The biggest star in that the world. world. And you know, and and Whitney. I don't know if I think it was her first movie. And, and the thing about it is, it's an actor-proof movie. Obviously, you know, Kevin Costner can act. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, nobody and, can screw it up. Yes! <laughs> and I think it was originally developed for Dinah Ross and or Barbara Streisand. She plays Rachel <laughs> Marin, this pop superstar who's having the stalker come into her life. And so, like, ex-Secret Service agent Kevin Costner comes in, and they immediately, for no good reason, don't like each other. <laughs> 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 and she's gorgeous, as Whitney Houston is, and she's supposed to, she's being stalked, and the guy gets closer and closer to her life and her family <laughs> And there's just, there's no need for performance. Let me act one. This is radio theater for you now. But there's one where they go to Miami and the stalker who we know exists, but Whitney doesn't believe exists. And so she sends, Kevin Costner's just getting in her weave and she's like, get out, leave. And he leaves. And as soon as he leaves, the phone rings and it's for Rachel Marin. She's like, hello. It's like, mommy. Oh, and, and, oh, yes. uh -huh. and, and she goes, hey, baby. She has a son. Hey, baby. He goes, mommy, mommy. And you see her face go blank because the, the, the stalker has reached her. Now it's like a passage of time, sunrise, sunset, and then in comes Kevin Costner. He's been called back, and there's this sort of uh, sort of Barry Gordy kind of record record executive character who's like, oh boy, Kevin Costner, you should have been here earlier. She was crazy, crying, screaming, throwing stuff. She's out on the roof now. <laughs> and so he walks out, and she's sit sitting on the roof, blank face, the exact same expression she had when the phone came. <laughs> 
the sum of her. Yes. So it's like, oh boy. I thought if I ever wrote a script for myself, it'd be like, oh. If you had only seen 10 minutes ago. You should have been here. She was acting up a storm crazy, (laughs) crying through laughter. There's another scene where she's really angry, and you just see like uh, someone else's hand in close up put down a glass, (laughs) pour in like an inch of orange juice, glug, 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 and then vodka, glug, 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 glug. (laughs) You never see her. You never see her drink, and it's just like, ooh, things have gone bad. And then at the very, very end, Uh spoiler alert, Mm. um, the stalker ends up being her sister, who when she was very, very high, I quote the movie, hired an assassin who she doesn't even remember who it was, so she can't stop it. And now they're in the <laughs> Most of his fun yes, and now they're in the dark and, and the sta- and the and the assassin is there to kill Rachel Marin and, and, and she realizes in a oh. moment that her sister is is the one who's responsible for her death and then her sister steps out into the shadows and bang, bang, bang. The sister is killed in front of her child and Kevin Costner. Well, that's just justice, isn't it? Yes. That's the way it should be. But th- what follows is, like, like it's such, oh, it's it goes such a, on? It's such a twisted it's turn. No, but this, <laughs> thing, this, this speaks to the actor-proofness. It's such a twisted turn. It's something you could never recover from psychologically. So this is how they do it in the movie. It's just like, Whitney's like in the dark, nothing, bang, 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 sister dead. And they cut to montage. And it's like radio and like, it's like great superstar. And it's, it's a big zoom of a um, funeral procession. And it goes from like a helicopter down to like the funeral sticker on the car. It's like all done in voiceover. Never seen her. It's like uh, superstar Rachel Marin has had to deal with the incredible tragic death of her sister. You know, she's very much in mourning. You know, but it's all done in voiceover and close up and image. And the next time you see Whitney, she's in the backyard, kind of kind of blank faced. <laughs> like, hey, Kevin Costner, what's up? Um, but it did create an amazing soundtrack that lives with us all. Best selling soundtrack of all time. Yes. With Wildeverty, Michelle Visage, track nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, why? Like, she never has to work again. Michelle? Right? Yes. According to Michelle, she bought her- five million records. She bought her parents a condo with that money. I don't know if she never has to work again, but she, uh, it, it, is, it was Soul System. Oh, um, right, right. What is it? Lovely day. Lovely, Lovely day. day. Yeah. Um, you know, I never saw Bodyguard because I couldn't get <gasps> past the outfit that she <laughs> wears in the commercial, <laughs> yes! that metal, metallic breastplate. Queen of the night. James, I thought you would love that. No, movie. it was horrible. It was horrible. It was so cheaply made. It was just it was the big, like, pearl, like, metallic pearl necklace. I thought it was like Terry Mugler nod. Oh, it was, it was a bad, it was a bad knockoff. knockoff. It looked kind of like an outfit Lucy Ricardo would wear, but then made <laughs> Futuristic, <laughs> and in the movie, she's kind of wearing like a cape, and she's at the Ivy, and then she goes to perform her new record, and you're sort of made to believe she's been sitting on those big ass pearls <laughs> of that dress the whole time. But Queen of the Night is a, a amazing song. We've tried to clear it for Drag Race as a, uh, a lip sync song. We haven't been able to do it. But Queen I of the just Night. don't know that I can ever see it. I just don't think I can get past that bed. Terry McGlynn, hack off. Have you seen <laughs> Glitter? No, I've never seen Glitter either. Oh, another classic club. Pop I star. didn't make the list. We, right. we talked about this, but I'm I'm not in the Mariah Carey camp. I, I just I can't do it. All the Whitney Houston camp. Well, I loved Whitney. I loved Whitney for a time. So then, who did you pick for number nine as the biggest ninth biggest movie turkey of all time? So bad it's good. Number nine. Well, after I've gotten on my high horse, yes, <laughs> about, you I'm, I'm too good for the bodyguard. <laughs> Let me just say that my number nine choice is Annie, the musical. Annie, the musical. Which, I, which, which Annie? The Excuse 1982 me. version. God damn, I love those plucky little orphans. I just, I must have seen that movie 110 times when it came out. 
I had seen one question. Yeah, why? Because <laughs> I've well, seen it too. No, okay. I saw it on Broadway. I saw it with Sarah Jessica Parker, oh, right? Wow. And so then, uh, about a year later, the movie came out, and my little sister was ten. I think I was sixteen, and I took her to that movie every single day for a month. You okay? saw it in the theater that in many the times, theater, not on cable. Thirty times in a month, and to this day, Elizabeth and I talk to each other Your in sister? any lyrics we text each other any <laughs> lyrics at like three in the morning okay so i it has a special place in my heart it's not a good movie <laughs> it was it, disappointing because i loved the soundtrack i never saw the broadway show but i loved the broadway soundtrack well we'll get into the soundtrack because they they did they made a lot of mistakes with, with doing the soundtrack but one of the, the oh, it was a perfect storm of bad decisions basically is what happened they had um for the director, you have this great Broadway musical with all these great songs, and instead of getting somebody like Alan Carr or Vincent Minnelli yes. or someone who is dead, I'm sorry, but <laughs> <clears throat> they went with John Houston to direct. And John mm. Houston, Gravitas, was, right? Yeah, it, John Houston was a huge director in the 40s and 50s. He did the Maltese Falcon. Right. He did the Treasure of the Sierra Madres. He did uh, Angelica th- Houston's dad. Pritzi, yeah, he did Pritzi's Honor, yeah. and he, he did, did Annie. Yeah, well, but this, <laughs> makes perfect sense. This is his first musical. He did over fifty movies, and most of them were westerns and you know, you know, uh, noir and stuff like that. But he decided it some for some reason somebody suggested him for Annie, and he said yes. Okay, I'll do it. You have Albert Finney, who's who's like a, an Englishman's Englishman, and he is very much a, not a song and dance man. And okay. he's playing Daddy Warbucks. He's the playing ball, Daddy ball, Warbucks, dance. but in the, he has a number of of show stopping numbers that he's supposed to do, it, and he just sort of sing talks his way through mm. them. And sort of like walks instead of dances. He's really just clumsy and awkward. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Carol Burnett playing Mrs. Hannigan. Which I thought was going to be brilliant way back in the day. Well, it, it, it is brilliant in its own way. But she's sort of doing a parody on her show of of this character. She's like off in La La Land. She's doing a completely different movie. You have a really great cast of Anne Ranking, who is Bob Fosse's protege yes. in Lover. She plays the secretary. We got Annie. We got Annie. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got Jeffrey Holder from the 7-Up commercials. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that credit. You have Bernadette Peters, who is just at the height of her loveliness. She's yes. absolutely gorgeous. With Tim Curry, right? Don't they do? Well, Tim Curry is sort of an interesting th- case, too, because you can tell that he's still bitter, that, his, that he's landed here in his career after Rocky Horror. and he it's like has, a third lead in Annie the Musical. <laughs> exactly. yeah. He thought he was going to be a big star, and then Rocky Horror really derailed him for about 20 years, almost. I mean, you can, you can argue that. Well, I mean, he should have been a much bigger star. He should have been a much bigger star. Rocky's yeah, just... Right. So then you get to the soundtrack, and you've got all these great, great songs. But for some reason, the composer of the movie soundtrack shuttled like seven songs from the Broadway show and decided to write four of his own that he thought were going to be better. And they were like, dumb dog, why are you following me? I ain't got a crumb dog. How about letting me be? Which I love. I love all those songs. And then they kill like NYC or something. They kill NYC. NYC. It's such a great song. And they also, he for some reason, the composer and John Huston both thought tomorrow wasn't that good of a song. <laughs> Take they, it or leave it. Yeah. And so they sort of like put it halfway through and they sing it for a couple minutes and then they let it go. Like they really just used it as an aside. Instead of making it a big, huge Start with it, do it yeah. in the middle, end with it. Uh-huh. But it. So it was a bomb, right? It was a huge bomb. Yes. 
now it has sort of a cult classic to it, probably because I talk about it to anyone who will listen. <laughs> what about the 2014 Annie? The with the Will Smith oh, produced that version with Jamie an abomination Fox. unto God. <laughs> okay, was, I will not broke any conversation <laughs> about. I, Loved it. I thought it was so great. How dare you, What's sir? wrong with it? How- Cameron Diaz is Mrs. Anakin. And Cameron Diaz Jamie is like 29 years old. She is not a washed up, nasty old. like. Or if she can't do it. There was no oh, way she could do it. And Rose Byrne. No, no, oh, no, no, it, no, no, no. Great, no. great actors. Come to my defense, I, I didn't. I was not compelled to see the uh, the new newer Annie. Yeah, you know, oh, uh, oh. But I'll tell you something because there was a 1999 version on TV that had Kathy Bates as Miss Hannigan, and that's sort of an interesting take on it. Although, once again, you have these. It's sort of kathunky. Like, like I thought the the new version. Like the, they just didn't get the beats right. I really thought John Houston really did sort of get the. It, it, it had a nice flow to it. Also, I do want to say that the, um, I don't know if you remember, but Martika was the big star that came out. One of Tin Soldier. Off all down. Did she play? She was one of the orphans. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Good to know. Well, okay. I picked for number eight. Number eight. Actually, it's one of my favorite. Maybe it is my most favorite movie of all time. I mean, it was a big bomb when it came out, Starship Troopers, uh-huh. by the legendary director Paul Verhoeven, perhaps more famously known for uh, Showgirls, <laughs> but also, of course, uh, Fatal Attraction. Have you guys seen it? Yeah, and I, you know, it, and it's one of those movies that you keep hearing how bad it is and how horrible no. it is. But when you watch it, I enjoyed every single minute of it. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a hard story to summarize, but basically, it's, it's loosely based on Robert Heinlein's mo- uh, book of the same title, science fiction book. But the interesting thing is, Paul Verhoeven started to read it. And he got so bored and depressed he didn't finish it and went on to make the movie without bothering to read the original book. And I think that's a really good thing. <laughs> God, I'm not the only one who works like that. I'm so excited to hear that. Wait, it's Casper Van Dien, right? It's Casper Van Dien. He's so good. He Gorge, plays right? a mobile infantryman in outer space. And basically, this is set in the future. It's a, a sci-fi drama. It's set in the future when the Earth is united, the one world, new world order has come to be under the Federation – And everything's great, and we're very prosperous, but we are at war with a planet far, far away that is populated by bugs, the arachnids, and they live on Klendatu. I love that. Like, you know it's a 50s original because they are (laughs) Klendatu, you know. They always have their K names. Anyway, we're at war with these bugs. You know, the interesting thing about it is is Paul Verhoeven, who experienced uh, Nazi-occupied, he grew up under Nazi-occupied Netherlands, he he ends up taking the America of today, and it actually becomes kind of a fascistic, Nazi-esque America. And everybody is prosperous, and everybody is beautiful, and they sort of look Aryan, and they're hairless, and they're gorgeous, and the girls are beautiful, and the men are gorgeous. But it's basically the Nazis won, and the Federation logo looks like, you know, a Nazi eagle, and all the sort of beautiful military uniforms. They're Nazi uniforms. Ooh. And we're at war with these bugs. And so what he, did, what he does so brilliantly, and I think for this reason the movie was way ahead of its time, is he reverses the stakes. So we, the victors, the Americans, end up being the Nazis, and the enemies who won the war are, are the bugs, are the Jews. He does this brilliant sleight of hand. And it's 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 very disturbing movie because on the one hand it's very crass. And he said, I mean, Paul Verhoeven was asked why was he doing this sort of 
right-wing fascist movie. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not that at all. It's like, if I tell the world that a right-wing fascist way of doing things doesn't work, no one will listen to me. So I'm going to make a perfect fascist world where everyone is beautiful, everything is shiny, everything has big guns and fancy ships, but it's only good for killing fucking bugs. And the, the movie is it's, it's fantastically camp. Um, but it's just it's just sheer genius to have unisex showers and it's. I was going to say hot. all I know about this movie are gifts of like Casper in a shower, isn't that yes, right? Yes. <laughs> With Denise Richards. Well, yes. I was going to say but the cast of this is incredibly camp too because you've got Casper Van Diem and Denise Richards who are not considered to be great actors by yet, you, <laughs> but they're really good. They work really well together. But also, Rue McClanahan was in it, and Neil she Patrick w- Harris, oh, yes, she was and Patrick <laughs> Muldoon from Days of Our Lives. Neil Patrick Harris was brilliantly cast at the at Doogie Howser as a sort of brainiac doctor, and he wears a Nazi type trench coat, and he's the one who comes up with the telepathy and the mind control tricks to figure out what the bugs are up to. Frankly, it's a very hard movie to describe, as I've just realized and failed. No, miserably. I think you've made a very compelling case, but you have to see it and Mark Wahlberg thank God he turned down the role because Casper Van Dien makes such a better he's Casper Van Dien in his heyday not so much now was just so plastic looking and so perfect and he did and he had this slightly wooden way of acting it was a sort of Barbie doll Ken doll universe of of embracing these these values that just result in sort of artificial non-people and we're at war with these very very intelligent bugs it's 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 just such a brilliant movie and it i sounds I, sort of, of like it might work very well as a double feature with gattaca yes absolutely it, it would and, and it so, came out around mm, sort of the same sort of ideas yeah. about this uh, future being populated by these perfect people and and Fascistic and all that stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, I, I need okay. to give it another. I'd watch it with Annie, but that's just me. I like a little <laughs> yin and yang. <laughs> well, we've got to take a quick break. Uh, so I'll leave you guys with this quick trivia question. Oh, good. Oh, good. How long was the soundtrack for uh, Bodyguard at number one? Oh, long time. You're listening to The Wow Report on Radio Andy on Sirius XM. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fender Bailey with Tom Campbell and James St. James. Before the break, I asked you, how long was the Bodyguard soundtrack in the number one spot? I'm going to say 37 weeks. <laughs> I'm going to say a full year, 52 weeks. Oh, okay. Seems well, it was the, the, the biggest selling soundtrack of all time. Yeah. So, Blake, what's the uh, what's the answer? Short answer, it was number one for 13 consecutive weeks or 29 consecutive weeks. Wow, math is fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of records, 45-minute records. So this week on The Wow Report, we are counting down the top 10 movie turkeys, celluloid turkeys. So bad they're good. Of all time. Yes. They're finger-licking good. So bad they're finger-licking good. <laughs> <laughs> What have we got at number seven, Tom? Number seven. I have a movie that's new for me, relatively new for me, that uh, was made in 1967, and it's called Berserk. Oh, I love me some Berserk. Exclamation point. And it's, it's Joan Crawford's next to last movie. 
Trog, I guess, was her last movie. <laughs> she went out on a high note. <laughs> yes, she did. I'm watching it, and Joan Crawford, who's deep into her 60s, looks kind of flawless. And I was reading about it. It was made in England. It was like a foreign film. She was brought in, and it was so low budget that she brought her own costumes, <laughs> her, she own, her own hair. She has like a, uh, the, the, it doesn't really matter. The actor's name was Ty Harden. It, it's, it's, it's set in a circus. And I, as I was watching it, I'm like, oh my, a murder is in a circus. I'm like, oh my God, Ryan Murphy saw this before I did. And he made American Horror Story Freak Show because it's that kind of setting. There's there's freaks and hairy ladies and fat ladies and bearded women. And, and then there's Joan. And then there's Joan who's <laughs> snatched and she, her hair's, she has that red hair Joan, you know? <laughs> and it's sort of like the hair is snatched back in a way that helps give you a facelift, you know? And she looks oh, flawless. And she is lit. So you never, you only see the part of her face that's acting. You don't see her chin. You don't see her forehead. <laughs> this is the period of her life where the older she got, she made sure to insert in every single script, she's the loveliest woman in town. Yes. Like everybody is like bowled over by her beauty as she gets older and more decrepit, yes. right? Like, and what a lovely woman people say as she walks past. And it starts <laughs> it, it starts off with like the the high the tightrope person coming to a brutal death and the man that re- and all these murders keep happening, but the man that replaces him his name is Ty Harden and he was this hot actor. I remember Ty in Harden. the 60s who was I was reading about him. He was meant to be Batman on the TV show, turned it down. Like they say he has one of those <laughs> oh, sad dear. careers where it's like oh Ty. Oh. He, so he ended up having to sort of kiss Joan Crawford in her like late sixties. I would have done that. <laughs> oh, I kiss her Dragging right, right now. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's just it's it's kind of that great. You know, sixty seven was a great year for style and color. You know, in like in the sixties, every year had its own kind of like. She has a wonderful ringleader outfit, doesn't she? Like yes. red, red and white with a black jacket, and it's like cut up high. Which, again, I'm imagining shows off her had, legs. She had in her closet and just packed. <laughs> you know, just like, um, it, it's sort of high low because there's these like sort of high Joan Crawford fashions and her and her stylized acting, which even in a bad movie is kind of fantastic. Right. But then there's all this kind of like stock footage of some it, it, London circus, and you're so aware where it's like. Oh. That doesn't look anything like the movie. <laughs> but there's an elephant in the movie now. It's great. Um, spoiler alert, because who, who the hell of you is going to watch this movie? I feel like it'll rush right out. Is that, is that it was, and prophetic as the future. It's like, it turns out her daughter comes back in the middle. And, and Diana Doors? Diana Doors? Diana, Diana Doors. The, Diana the, the Doors. British Marilyn Monroe. Yes. yes. And I hadn't, I'd heard about her. I'd never seen her in action. She and she, she uh, is the beautiful lady in the circus who gets sawed in half, who unfortunately, due to a murder, Murderous uh, twist. Get sawed now. <laughs> um, but wait, didn't that, wasn't Diana Doris? Didn't she go from like Marilyn Monroe to Shelley Winters like in the course of like five years? Yes. She, she couldn't have been very pretty at this she point. She was still pretty. She was, was she? If she wasn't Marilyn Monroe at this point, she was Ginger Grant from Gilligan's Island. She was still <laughs> holding it together. And fun fact, I didn't realize with Diana Doris that she was married for a period of time to Dick, a, a young like British comedian named Dickie Dawson who would later move to America and become Richard Dawson. A, ma- a match a game. Match game. No. And, 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 yes. uh, wait, what's the other one? She's match game and Family Feud. Match game and Family Feud, yes. No. But, but I think she was married to quite a few people, wasn't she? Yeah, she, she went through them. She went through them. But that was, I think they had two children. And it was anything. Mm. But, um, but Dickie uh, Dawson, that's so funny. Young Dickie Dawson. He just had a little, a little bit of a show in like, England. I didn't know he was British. And the, the idea is that Dickie Dawson in the 70s, because Match Game and Family Feud were so big and so huge, and there were three networks, he was seen by like 90 million people every day. He was a bigger star than Diana. One of the biggest stars in the world at yes. that point. But uh, in, a, in a cruel twist, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> her daughter did it. 
Joan Crawford's daughter was the murderer the whole time. Mommy, pay attention to me, which might be a harbinger for something coming. Wait, wasn't a little the bit daughter? Didn't the countdown. daughter do it mm. in Straight Jacket too? Oh, I'm not going to spoil two movies. <laughs> not here, not today. <laughs> wow, okay. Berserk, starring Joan Crawford, Dogs. James, what have you got for us at number six? Number six. Number six. I've got Batman and Robin. This is the 1997 version. It's the fourth entry into the the franchise. Wow. Okay, we've had Tim Burton at this point. We've had Michael Keaton. Mm. We've had Val Kilmer, and now we bring on George Clooney to be Batman. Sounds okay? like a good idea. Sounds, on he, paper, he was he was the biggest star in the world. He was on ER. I mean, he was the biggest TV star. This was his big foray into the movies. He was going to be huge. <laughs> it was going to this was going to propel him to superstardom. And his his Robin was his Chris Robin O'Donnell, Robin, right? Uh, yeah, Chris O'Donnell. The director of this one was Joel Schumacher, who was uh, he was a friend of Dorothy's, and his idea behind it was that he wanted to bring it back to the camp. 1960s version. Good for him. Right? He, uh, you know, yeah, okay, I, I get it, I get it. Uh, Tim Burton had done a really good job of sort of balancing mm. the camp and the, the, the dark side. No. So Tim Burton had also done a really good job of sort of like uh, juggling two yeah. villains at once. He had, you know, the Catwoman and the, pe- the Penguin in one. And so Joel, Joel Schumacher thought, well, if he can do two, I'm going to have three villains. And he decided to have Mr. Freeze, Poison Ivy, and Bane all in the same movie. And Mr. Freeze is Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Uh, who can't act his way out of a paper bag, and he's just <laughs> these horrible puns all the whole, the entire time. Uh, Joel said that he wanted to um, his Mister Freeze should be big and strong, like he was chiseled from a glacier, and that sort of <laughs> describes his acting I'm too. That. Uh, he also sort of he, Joel is sort of throwing everything in the kitchen sink at this movie. He's got you know he's got three villains. He's got he's got Batman. He's, so he throws in you know Robin. And he throws in Batgirl, and he sort of gets that whole thing wrong because he has Batgirl as being Alfred's niece, and that's not she's Commissioner Gordon's daughter. We all know that fact, right? Exactly. He's credited for giving Batman the rubber nipples. How long was it going to take for you to make <laughs> the rubber nipples? <laughs> All I remember from that movie was that there were nipples on Batman. And the cod pieces. Do you remember that Batman and Robin pieces. wore yes. huge, enormous cod pieces and had giant bat nipples? And the entire <laughs> movie is just shot after shot of Chris O'Donnell's ass and George Clooney's, like, the bat butts. The bat butts and the bat crotches. And George Clooney has even said that he was playing it gay. He decided that Batman was gay and that that was his backstory and he was going to that, that there's the homoerotic elements but in this movie. Are you saying that it's so bad it's good? Is well, that, is, or I'm are saying, you saying so bad it's bad? No, I'm saying visually yeah. this movie is beyond garish, beyond like grotesque and the brights are too the colors are too bright. It's I mean it's uh, this coming from James uh, saying James. No, no, it, it's really it's just seeped in this lurid like just these these this like neon technicolor and it's you, you can't take your eyes off it. The, the um, Gotham City, which is supposed to be the World's Fair on acid, is what the set designer said is what she wanted. Uh-huh. And the whole idea of it is it's just it's so much happening at every single moment, and he crams every scene, every inch of every frame with you know like the bat nipples. And the copy and the, and 
But is Joel Shoemaker really to blame? Because look, here's the thing: like the the super a superhero, the law of superhero movies is that you need to add more villains. I mean, they all do that, right? Even the endless Spider-Man remakes, they just cram in more in, villains. In that, this number kills one, them. number two, wasn't the huge, huge, huge mistake made many movies earlier when they decided to say Batman, frankly, and Robin, the campus concept ever. When they said, no, we're going to make it psychologically real. No, 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 and no, we're no, going to no, make no, it dark well, and hold on, hold on. Let me, I think you... that is a crime. Okay, well, and, let me address and both and I think of Joel these. Schumacher was, was handed okay, just uh, okay. a steaming pile of poo. Uh, Ke- Kellyanne Conway here. Um, oh. <laughs> back on <laughs> message, James. Yeah, let, let me and let, allow me to answer before you keep throwing out your, your, your pivots, okay? <laughs> um, number one, with, with Tim Burton. Even when you're watching the Tim Burton the number two, you're thinking to yourself that this could be two different movies. So the idea of throwing in all these villains probably isn't a good idea. Uh, well, I just it was a huge mistake to make the thing serious. It was oh, the first first oh, okay. idea ever, well, the 60s Batman. No, but, but what happened afterwards was that Joel went and said that he wanted to do another one. And they said, absolutely not. You've killed the franchise. And he did kill it for almost 10 years. You know, this was 97. It was 2005 before Christopher Nolan got it. And afterwards, he said that he wanted to take to do Batman Year One, which was a famous uh, thing in DC Comics where it sort of went back to the beginning and it went back to being simple and, and sort of stark and, and elegant and everything like that. And they said, no, you aren't the guy to do that, but maybe Darren Aronofsky is the guy to do that. Mm-hmm. And so they went to talk to Darren Aronofsky, and they had sort of planned to take Batman back to being sort of more serious. And that's when, when things fell and fell through with Darren, that's when they went with Christopher. So actually, it was because things had gotten so over the top with Joel that they went the, the next direction with Christopher Nolan, which I think was was the right way to go. But poor poor Joel Schumacher was pilloried for this movie, and I don't know that he ever got back on track again because he really, you know, it, the DC fans hate him for what they did. But I think it's sort of a fascinating movie to watch. I think like you're never bored for a second, even though it's it's sort of groan worthy. And uh, but the, you know you. George Clooney, you gotta love it. You got to. Batman and Robin, James, you had me at bat nipples. <laughs> well, you know, moving on, I so, thought. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hold on. No, I, I, just, I need a drink after that one. <laughs> well, James, how about this? My next form of a movie um, is what I played a small part in myself, wrote and directed, actually co wrote and co directed it. Number five Party Monster. Yes, because I felt that having like flung mud at Joel Schumacher and the whole Batman franchise, I I just feel I'm standing on very thin. <laughs> it's time to mud mask yourself. <laughs> you and James, this is this is James' life story directed by you. Well, yes. I do want to say in, in your you, defense, okay, okay, I don't think that you realize how much that movie means to a lot of people. I do get not a day goes by on Twitter where I don't get somebody telling me how they're just watching the movie now and it's change their lives or this is something that is really an important movie to them it really it, a whole generation of kids have grown up a little ravers and outsiders but, and gods well, hopefully and, that's why it's so bad it's good right okay exactly. yes. that's that's our yeah. purpose here today but i don't want you to beat yourself up too much over it because well, it is a classic in its way well Doing i can't believe re- you guys are t- saying it's bad at all i think it's great okay well i'll just read you some reviews that i was looking oh, at no. <laughs> the one the only one truly entertained by the clown with the lampshade on his head 
is the clown with the lampshade on his head. <laughs> and what's wrong with that? <laughs> you can't love this, yourself. This one really hurts. The worst comedy since Death to Smoochie. <laughs> <No>! <laughs> okay, how about this? Uh, Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbado, who wrote and directed, think the way to make a movie about shallow, aimless lives descending into chaos is for the movie itself to be shallow, aimless, and to descend <laughs> into oh, chaos. Wow. But you guys need to recap the history of this a little bit, how it all connects you two. Okay, I, I will, but I just have to read one more <laughs> first. Right. There are many ways of depicting an innocent descent into hell, but the camp approach is surely the least advisable. Oh. Disagree. So, so on that note, Capaldi Monster really is the story of Michael Eilig, uh, King of the Club Kids, which was a youth movement in the 90s of sort of misfits, really. New York who City. became in New York City, who became in New York's clubs a nationwide phenomenon and actually internationally an international phenomenon. And they were sort of all... Club Kid, was, the Club Kid concept was all about taking the most foolish, ridiculous, unfashionable thing you could do and putting it on you, right? <laughs> it was turning any idea of cool inside out, embracing foolishness, clownishness, naffness, but making it cool. It was a sort of alchemical transformation. And you, James, were one of the club kids. And it was a fantastic, creative, anarchic scene. And then, of course, what, what sort of is the basis of the movie is Michael Eilig's descent from being this brilliant marketeer and live event promoter into sort of drug-addled mass and ultimately a murderer. Played by Macaulay Culkin. Played by Macaulay Culkin in his first role in As Nine Years. We had, I tell you, we had the most amazing cast. I mean... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Green, to this day. Seth Green played James St. James and was the first one on board and he really persuaded Macaulay Culkin to come out of retirement and, and do this movie. Uh, Marilyn Manson, Chloe Sevigny, Natasha Leone, Natasha Leone, Wilson, John Samus, Dylan McDermott. I mean, it a is very like, young Wilmer Valderrama. The funny thing is, it was very hard movie to raise the money to make. I mean, we we had grandiose delusions of a fifteen million dollar budget that just shrank until we were down to like a few pennies, but. They would be financiers kept on saying, you need to get more names, bigger, better names. And we ended up with this incredible star-studded cast, and, and none of which helped raise the money, really, ultimately, that we got to make the film. And uh, we made the film. We made it, shot it digitally in 25 days. And one of the reviews said it looked like it had been soaked in dirty dishwater. No, it's, it's beautiful. Outrage. It's so gorgeous to look at. It really is a fun movie to look at. And Michael Wilkinson did the costumes. And, of course, he went on to do, like, enormous Kabuki did the makeup. And Kabuki did the makeup. I know it was amazing, an amazing uh, lineup of people. Perfect to watch over a long Thanksgiving uh -huh. weekend. And you know, the thing about the Club Kids, though, I, to this day, I get irritated that, that it's sort of being buried in, in history, that people, are, I feel like it's being erased, the Club Kid movement. And it really was the first safe space for genderqueer youths, I think. It was uh -huh. really one of the first places where kids who weren't drag queens, who weren't, weren't traditional gays, could go and and do whatever they wanted. And there was a lot of gender fluidity there and a lot of... Um, uh, it was, it, we were a family and we took care of each other for the most part. You know, Beautiful. It feels like a Netflix series that needs to happen. There you go. Okay. Well, I think we said quite enough about that. So we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Um, what's our question? Our question is... Oh, I know. <clears throat> okay. What was the name of the book that Party Monster was based on? 
gosh. I don't, oh, my goodness. Mm. goodness. Mm. What could that be? This is the Wow Report on Radio Andy Sirius XM. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton Bailey with Tom Campbell and Jane St. James. We're coming to you live from Hollywood. And we've been counting down the top 10 turkey movies of all time. So bad, they're good. So bad, they're just delicious. <laughs> now, before the break, we asked you, what was the name of the book that Party Monster was based on? Because when the book came out, it was called Party Monster. But that was not the original title of the book. I think uh, the author might be able to help us with that. Well, it's interesting you should ask. James. <laughs> it was originally called Disco Bloodbath. It was. And a then, book by James St. James. By James St. James, by me. And then uh, when the movie came out, they changed the title of my book to the movie to match the movie. And I was horrified at the time. I, How dare you? But it ended up actually working in my favor. It's grown on you. Because I hadn't gotten any residuals up until that point. And once it, the book t- changed titles to match the movie, that's when I started getting moolah. Look at you. You're just rolling in my <laughs> Yeah. Goodness <laughs> gracious. <laughs> so carrying on with our countdown of top ten Turkeys of all time and uh, celluloid turkeys. Yes. What do we have at number four? Number four. At number four, we have a place where nobody dared to go. The love that we came to know. <laughs> they call it Xanadu. <laughs> Xanadu, everyone. <laughs> How can you do a turkey list without Xanadu? It should be 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I, again, go on record as saying, Olivia John. Like mothered me. I love Olivia John so much. Oh. She was one of my first artists. She was the epitome of the seventies of beauty of Sham. sunshine. Yes, I loved her country pre Greece. But when Greece came out in nineteen seventy eight, I like you saw Annie. I saw Greece in the theater so many times. Mm-hmm. Then it was on cable, and I saw it so. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen Greece. I'm, I'm right with you. And and it's the perfect movie. It doesn't grow old. She is exquisite in it. And in nineteen eighty, when Xanadu came out. There was, you know, how this town works. Like, Olivia John was the number one box office draw woman of anybody. And she was up for, like, a Vita. They were doing make a Vita the movie. And she, maybe Olivia John's on the short list. You know, she was hot, hot, hot. So there was so much anticipation of what Xanadu might be. And there was, like, I remember there was, there was books. There was Xanadu, like, clothing lines. Joel Silver, the great producer, was behind all of this. Um, well, the, mo- the, the album came out before the movie yes. did. Well, the album is his own thing. Okay, but, but, but I remember getting the album and listening to every song, saying, imagining what the movie yes. could be. And it was ELO, there was an ELO side oh, yeah. and an ONJ side. That's how they, not mm. Bay and B, but whatever. And Magic was number one in the country. And it was kind of an exquisite kind of techno pop Olivia Newton-John song was so good. And I went to the movies in Dartmouth and Hanover, New Hampshire, when I was like in senior year in high school. And it was and it was like me and four kids whose mother dropped them off. And oh. it was the worst thing at the time. But I've come to love it. A, Olivia Newton-John was never more beautiful. No. She is just shot. And, you know, it's fun. Probably everyone has seen Xanadu, but if you haven't, it's fun to, to do a little quick plot summary. Because... Olivia John plays one of Zeus's seven muse 
daughters that has inspired the likes of Shakespeare and Michelangelo. And in 1980, she comes alive in a mural in Venice Beach to <laughs> inspire Sonny Malone, a guy who paints a gi- record albums into giant, like, you know, Tower Records out thing. Uh, and Gene Kelly, a former big band guy from the 40s who's now an industrialist. She brings them together to make the Best roller disco palace that's ever existed. <laughs> but wait a minute, the guy who plays the the the, the artist is um was from uh, Warriors. Warriors, come playing it, and he was so he was he was going to be the hottest star in the world too, and this killed his career, didn't it? It didn't help, and it was Gene <laughs> Kelly's Michael Beck. Yes, yes, and it was Gene Kelly's last movie. And you know, sad- he went out on a high note. As far as I'm concerned, was, is that he he um he came on as an advisor, and then he goes, "I'll be in it," and then he ends up singing and dancing. But it was also it's a movie that happened before MTV, right before MTV. And, you know, MTV introduced us into sort of that the edit was was, was the dance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the images right. dance. This was like old MGM musical, like wide shots, <sighs> extras, set but moves. all around the world when they finally opened the disco and everyone's yes. dancing. Yes. Rollerblading through Fiorucci's, wasn't yes. it? And and again, it's worth seeing for the pure camp value. She's beautiful. The music is kind of great. Um, but it was at the, you know, 1980 was when Disco Sucks kicked in, and oh, I remember like Xanadu it. was like a song that they burnt in effigy. But um, I'm a huge Living Newton John fan. Away from all the hype of what it was supposed to be, it's something nice to have on in the background. It also has some sort of pre-Tron 1980 special effects where she's constantly oh, with like, the, with the, surrounded with the lights, <laughs> which I like to think of myself that way. But, but um, that, too, has gone on to have a, a camp life of its own. And there was a Broadway version of it recently in the past couple of years. Yeah, there was a great Broadway parody of it. They made great fun of it. But I remember about the Broadway show is the first time I saw Cheyenne Jackson in, in – uh, cut off jeans his oh. thighs were spectacular <laughs> in Xanadu I suppose what's so good about it is it ends up being a record of the time it's sort of like a classic yeah. period piece of disco deco it's just with ELO as well it's just fantastic and a time when 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 Hollywood was like naive enough to say you know what everyone's roller skating now Cher's roller skating and Linda Ronstadt's roller skating let's make a movie about it you know uh-huh. and uh, knowing not knowing that the trend would be dead six months before the movie was completed but it's worth seeing for your Thanksgiving turkey uh, enjoyment Xanadu James, what have you got at number three? Number three. I'm a little scared about this one. I risk incurring the wrath of Fenton Bailey here because my number three was going to be every single damn Madonna movie ever. (gasps) (laughs) Anything with Madonna in it. Anything with Madonna in it. You know. (laughs) It's so bad, it's good. Well, it it is so bad. You know, she's got a lot (laughs) of real flops. Spinning it. When you think of Swept Away, Body of Evidence, Dangerous Game, Next Big Thing, uh, Shanghai Surprise. Even the movies that we give her credit for, League of Their Own. <laughs> Desperately Seeking Susan. No, no, okay, I will give you Desperately Seeking Susan and Truth or Dare. That is two great movies, okay. right? Okay. And I will say that, you know, like a League of Their Own, she and Rosie are doing their own movie. They're like, <laughs> do it, they are like the Nickelodeon school of acting while Gina Davis and Tom Hanks are doing something else. And then you have Dick Tracy, which didn't really work at the time. It was a huge, yeah. huge turkey. Mm-hmm. It was so 80s, and this was like in the 90s. It's just a big body of work. Right, okay. But I do. I wanted to, to concentrate on one that is so bad it's good, and that I love more than life itself. Evita. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't get me started on Evita. Okay. Uh, who's that girl? Okay. Okay. Uh, who's that girl? Was gorgeous. It was fabulous. It was so. 
it, it was so wrong, it was right. Okay, what you have is you have Madonna who wants to do a 30s screwball movie, right? And she's been studying the movies of Judy Holiday. And so all of a sudden— Who's Madonna, from the 50s, but keep going. Right. <laughs> but, but she but had done a bunch of sort of screwball— was yes. known as sort yes. of a screwy dame type character. And so Madonna starts talking with this <laughs> accent, right? And it's sort of like—it's a little bit like Jerry Lewis doing a Cindy Lauper by way of Betty Boop, okay? <laughs> nice. And she starts talking like— this in real life. If you remember, she goes on the Johnny Carson show and she's talking like this the entire time. <laughs> right? Okay. And people make fun of her for going British when she married yeah, Guy she Ritchie. Research. She embraces But her you had this girl from Michigan who has first decided that she grew up in Yonkers and then she decided that she's from like, you know, from you know, uh, some Manchester or something. She's in, very uh, suggestible. She's very suggestible. I, you see, I love when Madonna plays, you know, great fascist people like Ava Perron or the Duchess of Windsor. Right, but, That's so I, like, but anyway, so, so sorry, that, sorry. Okay. who's that girl? You have the, the story. Her name is Nikki Finn, yeah. and she's 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 a plucky girl, yeah. right from the wrong side of the tracks. Who is? And you learned there's a great animated <laughs> sequence in the beginning. I don't know if you remember. I it's do. like a ten minute animated sequence in which you get the backstory for Nikki Finn, and she's been wrongly accused of murder, and she spent time in prison. And the opening scene is she gets out of prison in a fabulous little sort of faux goatee outfit and Griffin Dunn is there to pick her up. Now Griffin Dunn is an uptight lawyer who's about to marry the the daughter of the wealthiest man in New York City but before he does he has to pick up Nikki Finn and get her to the bus station for no discernible reason and the, um, he also has to pick up this cougar Right, this this mountain lion, a real cougar, a real mountain lion, yeah, <laughs> and deliver it to some eccentric billionaire or something like that. And I'm yeah. in, I'm in, <laughs> right, exactly. So you have elements of desperately seeking Susan because she's the wacky, yep. you know, who's who's running from the law and she's trying to to clear her name. You've got um for for Griffin Dunn, you've got elements of After Hours because he's this uptight man in a sure. chaotic chaotic situation. Then you've got all this sort of bringing up baby, bringing thing up baby that's yes. happening, and you've also got the Philadelphia story, which is him marrying the rich girl, and he's so, he, da, da 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 da. She's at her most eighties here, where she's got this bleach blonde popcorn hairdo, right? This like so out yeah. to here. She's got these giant caterpillar eyebrows, dark well, eyebrows. I was, the tits from Batman and Robin, I, the eyebrows, like yeah, you, that's you all cannot, I remember. All you remember are the eyebrows. eyebrows on this. You also have this. There's the iconic scene where she's in the white tube dress that I had. I had the exact same dress. <laughs> I wore it to death. I loved it. It's a very convoluted story, and yet she manages to carry you through it the entire time. She is so watchable and so charismatic that even at her worst, and this is probably, this is up there with her worst, like you can't take her your eyes off of her. And it spawned three big, big hits. It was Who's That Girl? Mm-hmm. Causing a commotion. I well. And the down tempo ballot, Look of Love. Do you remember that? Not remember. as big a hit. Huge. No, it was huge, <laughs> huge, huge. Because I didn't really remember it either. But anyway, I really think that if you haven't watched it, it you really need to because it will give you a whole I- a look into Mad- a forgotten part of the Madonna of the 80s. Who's that girl? Who's that girl? I, I just can't. I just can't. Well, I can. Because in this next movie, biggest turkey of all time movies, 
I didn't direct it or write it. I'm in it. What? what? Yes, it is. Number two. Heaven's Gate. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, You're I was in, in Heaven's, Heaven's Gate. Gate. Now, Heaven's Gate, <laughs> I was an extra, okay? Non-speaking role. And I was a student at Oxford. And they wanted to film some scenes for the movie Heaven's Gate at Harvard. But Harvard said, you're not bringing your Hollywood trash here. So they went to Oxford. By the way, this movie at this point was so over budget. The idea of just crossing the ocean and going to another university to shoot. It was, I think there was just so much money in the hole. It just really didn't matter. Anyway, long story short, they came to Oxford. I got a job as an extra. 15 pounds a day. That was a lot of money in 1980. That's a beer like, money, Ooh. yeah. And the interesting thing is, I couldn't really tell you, frankly, what Heaven's Gate is about. It's about some kind of war set in 1870-ish, but it's basically Chris Christopherson and John Hurt. That's all I really know. Yeah. And I have seen the movie, but I cannot really recall anything about it. Not a good sign. Um, but we Chris were, Christopherson was a huge star at that huge, time. And, yeah. and, and John Hurt was too. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Was Chris Christopherson ever in a hit movie, though? Yes, of course. He yeah, was Star in, um, is Born was sort of... Uh, he was in um, rough, rough, the thing with oh, Burt Reynolds. Oh, the football movie. Okay. Yeah. Anywho, they came... And the, 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 I suppose the movie really is about greed. And it was amazing. I was just reading a, a guy who was also an extra um, was telling his story. He He went on to become... This is interesting. He went on to become the clinical assistant professor of philosophy at the Catholic University of America. Anyway, he wrote a thing about his experience as an extra, and he said that basically the greed that the movie is about infected the extras, Ooh. and we all became greedy, grasping pigs. <gasps> and you know what? It's true. It's true. After a couple of days, we was, what we were supposed to do was dance around the streets. The opening, one of the opening early sequences in the movie, it's on YouTube. I just watched it last night, and it's way too long. And even though I was scrutinizing, I could not see me. Oh, I That's all ask. I wanted to know. Oh, thank you. But we're all dancing, and I, have, I only vaguely remember it. Maybe I got a concussion, but we were going around a tree that had been specially placed there because no expense was spared to place an enormous fully grown oak tree in the middle of a university square mm-hmm. uh, going around the tree and all these people rush in and they're trying to get the floral bunch of flowers that are on the tree and anyway a fight ensues and it's very real and the extra said this is bodily harm we're risking bodily harm 15 pounds a day and we all went on strike <laughs> wow. now my recollection is we all went on strike and we were locked out of a set and that was that his recollection is they got paid some more money and went back. But anyway, I did not go back. <laughs> I guess I was not invited back. <laughs> anyway, the thing about the movie is it's directed by Michael Cimino, who just died this year. Oh, I know. Very he, sad. Yes. never. He never recovered, really, either, did he? He did not. I mean, his breakout success was The Deer Hunter, a mm-hmm. Vietnam movie. Which is also sort of unwatchable now. I'm sorry. Well, at the time, it was championed as the greatest movie of all time. I because I suppose because of the timing, it was very raw, the Vietnam one was very raw in the American consciousness yes. and he came in with this sort of take no prisoners brutal movie about the Vietnam War and everybody just loved it but that went over budget but when he came to do this Heaven's Gate he contractually managed to get agreed written into his contract that he had the right to go over budget oh, <laughs> wow. in order to make a Christmas Day 1979 release so the budget was $10 million, which I guess in 1979 was a lot of money. Sure. But he already spent $10 million within like two days. And the movie actually ended up costing uh, $44 million, which mm. is $145 million today. 
But when it was released, it was three hours and 45 minutes long. Wow. It was such a disastrous premiere that they actually canceled. They actually canceled the launch of the movie. Who are the stars of the movie? Well, Chris Christopherson and John Hurt. Oh, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the female lead, though? I don't know. It also says Christopher Walken was in it. Yeah, he was. Yeah, Christopher Walken was in it. And, and Jeff Bridges. And Jeff Bridges was is, in it. Is the reason why it failed, <clears throat> was it the three hours and 45 minutes? Was it the, all the bad pre-publicity pre, that it got? Or is it just a, a bad story? All of the above. It yeah. was just too long. And they re-released a, a shortened version, which was so shortened. I mean, that's the thing. If you take an enormously long movie and make it super short, it's not going to make any no, sense anyway. Yeah. But they just recently, like about four years ago, re-released a more full-length version. And that's where you can see these opening scenes that, that I am somewhere in, though um, I have yet to see myself and it became synonymous with the tur- with a turkey with, with box office flop Huge i mean failure. you you, are, you you've released the heaven's gate yeah yeah i actually told my roommate we were f- recording this episode and he was like is heaven's gate on there yeah yeah he shot 220 hours of film and he brought united artists to his knees that was the end of it he did make four more movies after that but they were they were all sort of non-movies and he became a recluse and there was a picture of him about a year before he died with Tom Cruise, I, no, 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 Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood. And he, I mean, there were rumors that he was transitioning. And I remember they, that. They say they aren't true, but he definitely looks like he had had facial feminization surgery. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he looked very extremely different. Hmm. And we don't know why he died. They never released the cause of death. Hmm. On that sad note, we're going to take a break. This is the Wow Report on Radio Andy, Sirius XM. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton Bailey here with James St. James, Blake, and Tom Campbell. And we've been counting down. We've been gnawing on the top (laughs) ten turkey movies of all time. (laughs) Things you might want to watch over the long Thanksgiving weekend, you know? So what's our number one? Well, we feel there's surely there's so many movie turkeys we've missed out. Oh, we have. Should we list a few of them? Well, you know, you could talk about Catwoman. Oh, really Mm -hmm. good. I liked Catwoman. Uh, Bride of Chucky. Can't Stop the Music. <gasps> Love Can't Gem Stop and the, the Holograms. Love that. When you talk about number one, I only have one movie in Mannequin. Mind. No. From Justin with Kelly. <laughs> Close, but no. Battlefield Earth. No. Glenn or Glenda. No, I'm going to say the movie, and you are going to agree with me. The, the, the turkiest movie of all time that it's so bad, that it's so good, that's defined my life and career. Number one. Mommy Dearest. Oh, of course. Starring Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. <laughs> Faye Dunaway is Joan yes! Crawford. Yes. I got to tell you, I didn't see this movie when it first came out in the theaters. What? But I saw it on cable, and you could not convince me that it was a bad movie. No. Oh, I thought it was brilliant. She is so amazing. She channels her. Yes. She is her. Uh-huh. The set design, the hair, oh, the, the costumes, the lighting, the, 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 the lines, the dialogue, the script. Every single moment is jam-packed with these luscious little bonbons. Do you think a day goes by when you don't 
quote Mommy Dearest in some it's way. Impos- it is so <laughs> such a part of gay culture at this point. It really is. It, it for thirty five years now, it has been the touchstone of of LGBT queer culture. <laughs> the thing that sticks in my head is is no wire hangers because it's it's so right. You should not hang clothes with wire hangers, <laughs> and I do not at home have any wire hangers. I have those uh, Joy Mangano yes. huggable hangers from HSN. Yes, Tina, sp- bring me the axe. Yes. Yes. I might have known you'd know where the boys and the booze was. <laughs> Walking in my car, JB. No. <laughs> um, the why did you adopt me? But you know, it was also it's interesting because Faye Faye's career never kind of recovered. She from blamed this, right? that movie, didn't she? And yet, you know, the the reality is, is she has spent thirty five years, you know talking shit about this movie saying that it killed her career Mm. but what killed her career was her attitude and the way that she really you know i mean she is a heritage she is a horrible i'm just sorry i'm just gonna say it she's a horrible she threw she threw a stapler at me once when i was working at a bookstore and i didn't have the book she wanted i can't tell you how many times i've wanted to throw a stapler at you (laughs) something about you look inside yourself for the stapler issue and fade down away i I hear you but i mean it is i mean it's interesting because it came off the best-selling book mommy Dearest, written by her daughter Christina, was in my, in my memory in the seventies the first kind of real like a mm. child spilling the dirt. Mm. Since then, it became almost like there was you know, the Betty Davis. There was the yes. Lana Turner's daughter. Yes, it was definitely seen as a betrayal, right? It was, mm-hmm. just wasn't a cool thing to have no, done. But when, when the book was first on the, like the talk show circuit, and Phil Donahue and things, everyone was like, "Oh, poor Christina! What a hor-. her mother was dead, couldn't speak for herself. What a horrible woman! Oh my God, so much abuce!" And then the movie um, was uh, considered to be a betrayal to Hollywood. That even yeah. That's what Faye says, that even though uh, Joan had come and gone, that she was part of the Hollywood system. Oh, and we should have protected our own. And you don't make fun of Mm -hmm. Joan Crawford. Mm -hmm. But I watched it all these years later again and again. And like you're saying about the wire hangers, it's like I just think Joan was a big disciplinarian. <laughs> I look at it differently. I don't Joan know. Joan was a victim of her of the, her the way she was brought yes. up. Yes, and she came into money too quickly, and she got stardom too quickly, and so she tried to become the person that she wanted to be, and she couldn't be that person. So powerful she, single mother. There's a, there's a big dynamic happening mm, there. A big, wealthy alcoholism. I mean, this mm-hmm. would be I think uh, looked at in a different light today. So she's doing the best that she could. There's well, she wanted to be the glamorous Joan Crawford that she portrayed, but she wasn't that person in real life, and it's a real dichotomy. There's so many sequences that I love, but there's the opening sequence where she's getting out of bed. I love And getting oh, ready. That. With the ice cubes. Ice. Yes. Plunging yes. your face into a basin of ice cubes. And she sleeps with her face and chin taped up, so every, you know, no double chin. And then there's the, the loyal maid and the packer or Cadillac or whatever, as she runs and sweats before she ends up in her dressing room with the 1939 ice capades. <laughs> 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 it's like... Miss Crawford, they're ready for you. Let's go. You know? The discipline that she had, <laughs> yes. that she just willed herself to superstardom and willed herself to stay yes. Joan Crawford. It's also one of RuPaul's favorite movies, so like every other breath on Drag Race is somehow, you know, channeling uh, Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. Let's go. Now, I can't imagine anyone listening, anyone within the sound of her voice has not seen Mommy Dearest. But if you have not seen Mommy Dearest, this Thanksgiving, if you do nothing else, if you do not go home for Thanksgiving, if you don't eat a turkey, please sit down and watch Mommy Dearest. It will change your life. Can I just add a little bit of movie, movie trivia? Please. Christina, played by Diana Scarwood. Oh. She plays Michael Alig's mother 
in potty mod stuff. And we tie it all up with a ribbon and send you off. Yes. Well, that's all the time we have today. (laughs) Thanks for tuning into the Wow Report on Radio Andy for Sirius XM. Check out these stories and more on the Wow Report at worldofwonder.net slash Radio Andy. Until next time, go out and do something that makes the world go... Wow. Wow. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Happy Thanksgiving.